Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus, as most of you may know, the book of Psalms ends with five praise psalms, five offerings of praise. And these psalms have a special marking to them. Their first and last words indicate that praise. It's the word, praise the Lord. Yes, one word. That's hallelujah. And then between each of these opening and closing words of praise the Lord, you find the reasons for that praise. And brothers and sisters, right away we take note of the fact how a true praise and worship psalm is an intelligent psalm. There's no endless repetition of the same words, but you have here detailed descriptions of God's words and acts, the whys and wherefores of praise. Now it's appropriate that the book of Psalms ends with this kind of praise. As you may know, the book of Psalms is made up of five individual books. Early on in the history of Israel and in the history of worship, these psalms were collated together, first in five different books, and then one collator put them all together. And by design, through the power of the Spirit, ends the book of Psalms with such praise. And that reflects what really is typical of every psalm. Even the lament and complaint songs. The last words are never protest, but they're praise for God, His promises, and His blessings. And that should make us think also about our own lives and our own worship. And that's what we want to reflect on this morning as well as we look at this psalm. The, the pattern of this psalm, the pattern of the book of Psalms, should really be a reflection of and a calling to the pattern of our own lives, the life of a believer, a life that begins with praise as we give thanks to the Lord for birth and for life, but also as we go through that life and, and experience all the realities of life, the realities of sin and, and sickness and death, and as we ourselves also then slip into that sickness and death, and to the grave, our life ends to the tune of a hallelujah chorus. So what we see in this psalm this morning, what we should see reflected in our lives, is a life beginning and ending with praise. And we'll reflect then on the reasons for that praise this morning. I preach to you God's Word from Psalm 147. Under this theme, it is good to sing praises to our God. That's the, the theme or the title. It is good to sing praises to our God. And we'll see why. First, we must praise Him for His power. Secondly, we must praise Him for His care. And thirdly, we must praise Him for His Word. So first then, it's good to sing praises to our God because of His power. Yes, it is good. 
our psalm says. Right away in verse 1, it is good to sing praises to our God. It is pleasant. It is fitting. What these words say is that God is well-deserving of our praise, even though He doesn't need our praise. God is, is of Himself full of glory and honor. And yet, He calls us to praise Him in light of what He has done for us, what He has done for His church, for His people. And that we begin to read in verse 2. So the psalmist begins now in verse 2 to give reasons for praise. And the first is that he builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. Now that is, a, these are words that speak to a world of sin. A people who are sinful. A people who are hurting. It says in verse 3 that they are broken hearted and God heals them. They are wounded and he binds up those wounds. So what, what is stated here is that God is a God who has brought deliverance, who has brought restoration and healing. And so some would think then in, on the basis of these words in verses 2 and 3, that this psalm is a post-exilic psalm. And that means referring to the time when the people of, of Judah have returned to Israel after the exile in Babylon. They've returned under the, the leadership of Ezra and Nehemiah. And so the psalmist uh, writes this psalm to, to stir up in these returned and restored and delivered people praise to God. Others think that this is a psalm of David. And that David is, by these words, highlighting how he has been delivered continually from his enemies. And has been granted by the Lord times of peace and security from hostility. And that too could very well be possible. But what is interesting is that it's so generic. It's, it, it's not indicated what exactly brought on this uh, praise and poetry from the psalmist. The generic quality of it allows this psalm to be applied to any kind of deliverance and restoration uh, in the history of God's redemption. Deliverance, freedom, God's goodness. These are reasons for any believer to praise the Lord. And they're all evidence, as our psalmist says in verse 5, these are all, this is all evidence of God's power in our lives. Let's think about that for a moment. It says in verse 5, Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. That is to say, we should praise God because of His wisdom and His understanding and His power in our lives. It's infinite. It's, it's without limit. Now that's very evident in creation. As our psalmist points out in verse 4, He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Now we can imagine 
in the days of, of Israel and the days of this psalm, how the Israelites would have, just like us, enjoyed walking around in the daytime, seeing God's powerful work in creation, seeing the flowers and the green hills and the olive groves, observing the snow-peaked mountains and, and then listening to the bubbling brooks and the buzzing of bees and the lowing of cattle, feeling the cool breezes along with the warm sun on their backs, and then looking up into the blue sky, watching the birds fly and, and the clouds drift by, and then later, and that's especially the, the image in verse 4, when it became dark, looking into the night sky, marveling at the moon and the planets and the stars, the millions and the billions of stars. God determines the number of them. He knows each of them. He has given each of them a name. Now that is something we can also understand to be evident in recreation as well. In our lives of renewal and redemption, we can praise God for his restoration. The, all the Israelites would have remembered as they gazed into the sky, the night sky, and saw the, the power of God in creation, they would also remember how God used that particular image to tell Abraham, and then later his descendants, to look at those stars and to remember how God is the God of the covenant that he is a faithful God, a God of steadfast love. God had said to Abraham, so shall your descendants be. Even in the face of suffering and persecution which will come, remember those promises the people of Israel were called. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. His people are like the stars in the night sky. And brothers and sisters, today we may acknowledge that we're part of that heritage. Yes, ultimately God deserves our praise today because of His powerful redemption in Jesus Christ. Through His Son, God brought it about that his chosen ones will be saved through Christ's death on the cross to pay for our sins. We may confess this morning that powerful grace of God, and we're humbled by it. It says in verse 6, the Lord lifts up the humble. This truth of God's power is humbling. At the same time, the wicked are destroyed. So we confess a powerful mercy and justice of God. That's something we particularly confess in the Canons of Dort. And I encourage you now to turn to the Canons of Dort with me to chapter 3-4, article 12. That's on page 578. 578 of our book of praise. 
In Article 12, we confess the work of regeneration, that it is God's work. It says there, this conversion is the regeneration, the new creation, the raising from the dead, the making alive, so highly spoken of in the Scriptures, which God works in us without us. But this regeneration is by no means brought about by outward teaching, by moral persuasion, or by such a mode of operation that after God has done his part, it remains in the power of man to be regenerated or not regenerated, converted or not converted. It is, however, clearly a supernatural, most powerful, and at the same time, most delightful, marvelous, mysterious, and inexpressible work. According to Scripture, inspired by the author of this work, regeneration is not inferior in power to creation or the raising of the dead. Hence, all those in whose hearts God works in this amazing way are certainly unfailingly and effectually regenerated and do actually believe. So we'll stop there. This article expresses what I've been saying, how the work of recreation, the work of regeneration and renewal is as great, as powerful as the work of creation. And that's something the Lord Jesus also expresses in John 5, verse 25 and following. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority, that is power, to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. That's what we confess, brothers and sisters, this morning. First of all, the power of God. The power evident in creation, but then also evident, more importantly, in our recreation. It's on that power that we rely for God to work faith in us and in our children to bless our instruction. And it's for that power that we praise the Lord. In the second place, we consider how we are to praise God for his care. Now, our psalm helps us to transition to this matter because in verse 7, we see uh, some special words which indicate another stanza or verse, as you could say. In verse 7, you, you have this renewed call to praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. That's almost a repeat, different words of verse 1. So there's a renewed summons to praise the Lord. And that's because the psalmist will indicate more reason to do so. And that's what we read in verses 7 to 11, where our thanksgiving is to be stimulated because of God's ongoing care for creation and for his creatures, especially those who are born again. So once again, we note how a true praise and worship song has depth, that there is intelligent reason to praise God. Our God. Now, unfortunately, 
when it concerns God's care for creation and for His creature, there are many people today who do not observe this when they look at creation and when they look at His special creature. They miss the reality of God's divine care. So they will speak about Mother Nature, for example, or they'll talk about natural phenomena. They'll talk about natural laws and evolutionary processes. They speak of Mother Nature, who is indeed granted a lot of power. For when disaster strikes, she is responsible. Recently, I read about Mother Nature who was not helping the situation in northern Ontario with, with their forest fires because Mother Nature was bringing warm, dry, windy conditions. Today, Mother Nature gets more of the, the good side of things, is apparently only in charge of the good things that happen, and it's humanity with global warming and climate change that is blamed for disaster. This is no different than the days of the Israelite who wrote this psalm. The pagan nations of his day spoke also of the forces of nature or attributed many of the natural events and calamities to various gods. But the psalmist attributes it all to our one covenant God. And so he describes in these verses 8 through 11, how like a quilter would create patchwork, so God is covering the heavens with clouds. Or as a gardener might water the garden, so the Lord waters the earth. Like a landscaper might tend the grounds, so God causes the grass to grow. Verse 8. Like a farmer might feed his cattle, so the Lord gives food to the animals of the earth. And like a child might hold up his hand to feed a bird, so we read, God feeds the birds. So this psalm reminds us, it confirms our confession that God cares for all things. God provides for all things. And that is also true of our salvation and our daily life of renewal. God is the one who helps us day by day to live for Him. He provides for us day by day. He grants us His Spirit every day as we ask Him for it. As we confess in Article 12 of the Canons of Dort, Chapter 3-4, and then the will so renewed, is not only acted upon and moved by God, but acted upon by God, the will itself also acts. Therefore, man himself is rightly said to believe and repent through the grace he has received. In verse 10 we read, His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man. We have to read these words in its context. In the Israelites' day, it was the horse that was looked upon as, as something that was strong and something that the, the people could use to, to do their work and to, to go places and, 
and especially in war, the horse was, was really the, the tank. It was the, the powerful weapon to destroy the enemy. And when it concerns the leg, then it speaks here of the runner as we sang from the psalm. It speaks about human strength and agility, physical strength. That's interesting because when we talk to the average man or, or boy or teenage boy this, these days, what is the thing that impresses them the most? It's the power of their trucks. It's the physical strength and agility that they can display in front of others. But it isn't horsepower that impresses God, this psalm says. But it's humility that does. And it isn't muscle that influences the Lord, but it is mercy. Brothers and sisters, what is true for creation is true for redemption. We rely daily on the merciful care of our Heavenly Father who will provide us with all things necessary for body and soul. And that's true also in adversity, which God sometimes does not prevent, but rather allows, so that as He promises, He can turn that to our benefit. Indeed, God cares for us. He cares for our souls. We depend on Him. And so in humility, we praise Him. And then finally, we see how we should praise God for His Word. And so in verse 12, another stanza, another verse begins, Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. Now here the act of redemption comes into focus. You see the shift in the psalm. It has begun a lot with creation. It ends with recreation. It talks about Jerusalem and Zion, the church, God's people. He is her protector. It says in verse 13, He strengthens the bars of your gates. He's the provider of life. Verse 13b, he blesses your children with you, within you. He is the God who makes harmony, who brings enemies together. It says in verse 14, He makes peace in your borders. And finally, He's the giver of prosperity. He fills you with the finest of wheat. And all of this is possible, we read, because of His Word. A Word that was evident in creation. Or it says, with only a word, God blankets the ground with snow. With only a word, He paints the landscape with frost. He throws down hail from heaven like a child would throw a handful of stones. He breathes out cold and freezes everything in its path. He blows again and everything melts. What a God we have, the psalmist is saying. Yes, what a word that He speaks. A word that He speaks to us as well, to our hearts and our minds and our souls. As it says in verse 19, and so we come actually to the climax of this song. He declares His word to Jacob, His statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. Israel 
has received God's revelation. She has received His laws, His word. Yes, all people have received God's general revelation. That is, how God has revealed Himself in His creation, in His providence. But only Israel, only Zion, only His church receives God's special revelation, His revealed will and written word. And that is the most important thing about God, for which He is most worthy to be praised. It's the best reason of all for singing to Him. He has given His word, His revelation of Himself. A revelation that is most clearly and certainly made in Jesus Christ, His one and only Son. The Bible shows it all, how God sent His Son out of His love for us to show His amazing grace to us. And so, we must respond. That's what this psalm is calling us to do. That's how it begins. That's how it ends. Praise the Lord. God's Word engages the mind and the will and the emotions and the whole person. That's what we also confessed in the canons. God has entered into relationship with us. And so we have the privilege and the duty to articulate praise to God. His revelation creates in us the responsibility to reply to God. Not only with tongues loosened for praise, but with lives freed from slavery for thanksgiving service. Yes, God has given to us His Word. He has given to us His laws. Let us obey those laws. Let us heed that Word. True worship is accompanied by life obedience. So he calls us to praise him. Also in the hearing of the lost, that they too may hear this word of God, this word of Jesus Christ, and believing to live. And so we can conclude. In Psalm 147, we have a true praise and worship song. It is highlighted, that's highlighted by the way it begins and the way it ends, with a word of praise. Hallelujah. God is worthy of praise because of His power and His care and His word in creation. But even more than that, He is worthy of praise because of His power and His care and His word in our recreation and redemption. Indeed, to know and to confess Jesus Christ is praise to the Lord, and it also fills us with praise. Amen. Well, let us respond by singing the last three verses of Psalm 147. Psalm 147, 1, 2, and 3. Let us stand to sing. Sorry, 4, 5, and 6.